Hello everyone and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people and others in the autism community to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. I love listening to podcasts and prior to this year, I would almost always listen to them when I was driving. I did a heck of a lot of driving relating to Autism Personal Coach, so it gave me quite a bit of an opportunity to listen to podcasts. With things changing this year, the amount of driving I have done has greatly decreased. Therefore, my podcast listening time has greatly decreased. However, there have been a couple of new podcasts this year that have come out, and I have made it a point to listen to them because the subject matter was just so interesting and important to me. One of those podcasts is Two Autistics Talk Money by Becca Laurie Hector and Andrew Camaro. Becca and Andrew return to Autism Stories to discuss their podcasts. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Becca and Andrew, thanks for returning to Autism Stories. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. What something that I love are are new things. I'm a novelty seeker, and I especially like listening to new podcasts that, particularly that I have a, an interest in. So I was excited to hear recently that the two of you have started co-hosting a new podcast called Two Autistics Talk Money, Making It, Spending It, and Saving It. So how the heck did the idea of this podcast come about? You and I, Becca, wanted to do a podcast on something together, right. and there's just a lot behind, and we both thought we could talk about this subject, some about money, and some of the things that are about money, but not actually about money, and that was kind of it. Yeah. I mean, we do, Andrew and I have the pleasure of working together outside of just two autistics, and so a lot of the clients that we share in common are struggling with like big picture life stuff, but they're also part of that big picture life stuff is understanding their finances. And so it was, you know, we would end up in conversations about this stuff, not just about our clients, but about ourselves and where we're at in terms of money. And it felt like a big empty space where there weren't autistics talking about our struggle with money and what that is and how much plays into it. And so it kind of grew into itself that way. Do, do either of you have a sense of, and I agree, I don't hear people talking about money. Do you have a sense why people um, aren't talking about money? Why there hasn't been a podcast like this uh, previously? Uh, because there's only one Andrew Comer on Becca Laurie Hector. But, um, this is true. The perfect know, combination. <laughs> I, I think a lot of it, it well, I mean... I, I don't have a great answer other than I, I don't think there's really anyone who specializes in talking in money and autistics, right? Usually it's more, if there's a money topic, it's a general, even boring money topic, or it's more directed at parents of children with high support needs. 
So there really just was a gap. Yeah. And, and I think that gap comes, for me, it comes from the way that autistics learn, the way that we pick up information, um, and the way that we are not taught towards that, right? So a lot of the stuff about money, everyone hopes you'll just kind of glean from like watching TV or I don't know where, where we're all supposed to learn it. But I know most people's parents um, don't sit down with them and say, this is how you write a check. And this is how you know what your interest rate is. And this is when you're paying into your principal and you're not paying into your principal, right? Nobody really sits us down and has that conversation with us because that conversation isn't happening in any home. But autistics really need that conversation. And so instead, we end up learning by making mistakes, by getting into debt, by not understanding it and flying by the seat of our pants, right? Um, and that doesn't work long term. It's not a long term sustainable solution. One of my, yeah, it, it's a, one of my favorite things or, or something that, you know, has really struck me too is that I also think a lot of, I mean, everyone, but especially because it's feel anxiety and shame. And even the ones who are good with money and doing well, and this is people with anxiety and even really just a lot of people in general, I especially find even a, a, the younger generation who it's never talked to about, they think that they're not doing a good job because they don't have a budget. And I have this analogy where it's kind of like a strict diet. You don't need to like have a budget all the time if you have good habits and build a routine something that we should inherently be good at but i find i run into a lot who just feel this shame around money when they're actually doing a really good job right because it is something that people don't talk about so then it's hard to really know you know you just hear the good from the other people i don't know so it's one of those where want to open it up a little bit it should right. you're right it is that. it's like secret if you're having money trouble it's like a secret right that you shouldn't share with people right it's like that we should whisper it like cancer right i mean it's like that for us and i think again autistics don't get that we don't get it we want to talk about it because we don't understand it but we've been clearly told not to talk about it right so we don't learn to ask for help or whom to ask for help Right. Mm -hmm. There's the idea that we should be able to do it alone somehow. Now, there's been two episodes so far of your podcast. And one of the things that I like about the format is it's, you know, it's on a Zoom call and anyone can um, participate in it and ask the two of you questions during during the uh, the um, podcast. Why did you go? Why did you decide to uh, choose that format? Um, I think the format chose us a little bit. Um, we had the opportunity to do it through Casey Sparks, which is out of Yale, and um, work with Roger Zhu, who is an amazing person, and he really supports the community. He gave us a platform. He said, you can do it on this. You can do it on Meetup um, with us. That's part of Casey Sparks. And that kind of said, oh, wait, so we'll have a lot of people on this call, and then how do we want to format it around that? Do we want to have a topic? Do we want to have guests? Do we want, you know, and it became that. And so um, I think it just, it was that we were offered the opportunity and said, okay, well, let's build it around this opportunity. And I think it's one of those where if we're trying to like de-shame, lack of a better term, like conversations around money, then it shouldn't be this super, super formal, boring presentation, right? We try want to try to make it as fun as humanly possible, right? right? Which is a very low bar, by the way. <laughs> it, is, 
It is. And, and I think that's the thing, though, right? We have really big questions about it, but we have to sort of unpack it, right? It's, it's loaded with other things, right? It's not just about whether you have money in the bank, whether you can pay your bills, whether, right, whether you're, you're paying your rent and all of that stuff. Um, a lot of us also, especially because I think we're geared towards adults, obviously, and as adults, we kind of all have baggage around money. Right. Mm -hmm. We've all already had experiences with it and we're taking that with us wherever we're going. And so unpacking some of that, too, has been part of what we've tackled as well. Definitely. I'm still trying to unload some of that, some of that baggage. Right? Uh, yeah. Now, now, making money is obviously so important because you can't spend or save without have, having money. So I chose the route of self-employment, but that certainly doesn't mean that's the best way for, for everyone to make money. So what do you two think in choosing between traditional employment and self-employment? What are some of the important factors for autistics to consider? You got to take a look at what your interest is and where it lies, right? Like you guys have the, you know, info dump files and just if it really interests you and there's a good availability a good job and that makes sense for you and you could do that well then i think it might make sense to more you know seek regular employment so for example if it's a tech job where working remote and coding is you know something you're able to do but if it's something more little you know niche where even a job doesn't exist like andrew arbo talking about autism and driving like right i mean he kind of made that for himself right or uh, the three of us on the calls or this podcast. So I, I think it really figure out what you like to do and then see kind of how it's best suited. I do think autistics in general are more better suited for ideally self-employment because if the gig economy is just that, it's the gig economy. So it's a good supplement, but I don't know if you can, you know, do that forever, right? Self-employment or should probably be a goal. Um, I'm mixed on this topic, actually. So I think um, there are some of us who really benefit from traditional job. They like the routine of it. They like going to work, doing their job, leaving it there and coming home, right? And there are some people, period, not just human beings, that for whom that suits them. Right. And then there's a whole other category of us who strive really, really, really hard to make that suit us. And it doesn't. Right. <laughs> and so um, and I think that for us, unless the workplace changes and the way we look at the workplace changes for those of us who don't like that kind of employment, self-employment becomes the choice. Right. Um, but I think what we do and this is a mistake, we we draw a really big line between self-employment and traditional employment. Um, and sometimes you need to do both. Right. Sometimes you have to get a job that is a job that just pays the bills, that does the thing. Right. And it doesn't take a lot of your spoons. It doesn't use a lot of your brains and all of that. Um, and then you come home and you do the stuff that you love. And until that thing that self-employment piece builds itself into something you can rely upon, you have to keep that regular, ordinary, traditional job, right? Um, and so we need to think about that when we're also talking about this with autistics. Because a lot of us know, yeah, self-employment is the way to go for me. But you can't go into it and say, I'm self-employed and just sit there, right? There's a lot of hustle mm -hmm. that comes with that, and you have to be prepared to put in that energy. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a lot of hustle and there's a lot of decision making and should I do this thing or somehow 
pay someone to do this thing because I'm going to suck at this thing. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right? Is that, should I delegate? Should I not delegate? Right? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's a lot of, it's a big weight. And so even though theoretically the idea of being self-employed sounds great, right? Sometimes the nuts and bolts of it don't work for you as a person, right? You know, and it's just not something that you're geared towards. It's not a strength, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, that's the decision we need to be making. And I think if we eventually hold on a little bit, the workplace is changing and we might not even have that traditional job in that sense anymore. Right. And so we'll see. So sometimes people have some really unusual or unique ways that they've made money. So I'm wondering, either of you, uh, what's maybe some, <laughs> you're pointing to yourself, Andrew. Um, what are some <laughs> unique ways that you've made money? So this is actually really funny. And actually, one of my uh, best friends who I've known for probably longer than almost any. Um, and, you know, he actually, he's in uh, Vietnam now. And Gmail, he said, you know, your emails to me are going to the promotions folder, which is appropriate for you. And uh, I laughed, but it was <laughs> hilarious. Um, one of my favorites is I sold stamps. So stamps.com, I posted my referral link on the internet. This is 10 plus years ago. And I printed stamps and then I sold them at a discount to doctor's offices. Right. I'm just like, oh, well, where else can you buy stamps at a discount? Um and that's one, you know, one of the more, I don't know, it's kind of one of my more favorite things that I've done because I've never met anyone else who's made money selling stamps, like regular postage stamps, not collector stamps. Um, I, my employment experience is super varied um, because of this struggle with trying to do the nine to five thing, regular traditional job and not being able to maintain it or sustain it for any period of time, right? Um, so I've done a lot of different things. Um, one of my least favorite jobs that I <laughs> ever had um, was working in, uh, you guys, this is how old I am, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. Um, but there used to be little film places, like little camera and film <laughs> little shops and they were literally like a toll booth it was the size of a toll booth on the highway and you would just you know pick, take people's film and send it out to get developed and then blah, blah blah but i used to have to do the phone calls hey this month's special is oh, a no. picture with your pet so come on <laughs> in and, and i can't even tell you in the time when we were moving from film to digital how few people wanted to talk to me at all right and so that was the worst job that i've ever had and the, the oddest thing that i've ever done um but i've done like really strange jobs i've been a vet tech that was one of my favorites i've been a bartender another one of my favorites um least favorites secretary i worked in commercial construction for a while not a favorite um things like that but i did whatever i had to do because i was so much trying to find a place where I could do that nine to five thing and sustain it. Right. So it was about trying to figure that out um, until I figured out it just doesn't work for me at all. Right. One thing I've never understood about bartenders is how they remember, like when someone orders a drink, how they remember like what exactly to put in the drink. Cause I never see anyone with like a, a little booklet out that they're skimming right. through the booklet. How do well, um, the truth is that there is a book behind the bar. Okay. Sometimes you get weird customers that order weird things that aren't popular. But 
um, the rest of the time, most people are ordering the same crap over and over again. So it's that you've done it so many times, you don't even have to think about it anymore. I mean, how many times can I make a margarita and not know what's in it, right? And so everybody's kind of, you know, the majority of people order the same thing, right? And so um, it's just a lot of vodka and cranberry over and over and a lot of vodka <laughs> and orange juice and a lot, right? And so um, that's, it looks to you like, hey, I know what I'm doing, but it's really just, I've done this 80 million times today, you're not special, right? <laughs> Yeah. So um, that that's where it comes from. I think um, what makes a good bartender a great bartender is the ability to remember the person and their drink. So if someone can come in and you remember what they had the last time, you're a pretty good bartender. And that was my favorite skill set. Um, my brain likes patterns. So a person and their drink is a pattern, right? The time of day they come in, the day of the week they come in, all of that um, was really easy for my brain to remember. And then I was like this awesome bartender that like, hey, you remembered me after one time, blah, 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 you know, and that's just how it worked. Um, but that, that's the secret is that they do mostly the same thing all day long. Now, uh, we were talking about gig work a little bit a while ago. What do you see as some of the first steps in the process of going about that if someone wants to kind of pursue that path? I mean, I see... Again, taking a step back as to why is it like simply just a paycheck or it, you know, at least try to have it a little bit of an interest. So, for example, you know, I can you know imagine and I do know there's some autistics who do it, but, you know, driving like DoorDash and food deliveries, there's a lot of change, a lot of unanticipated things. A lot of us struggle with driving anyway. But then I know a couple others who are doing uh, like the Rover or like the dog sitting dog walking. Right. And if you like dogs if you like animals right then that's a pretty good you know fit so i would take a look at first if there's a theme here what you really like doing right but see if there's also any blatant obstacles like i think just because you love food shouldn't be a reason to do doordash right we want to make sure that we're like andrew was saying without saying working towards our strengths right so that we're picking jobs that you know, focus on our strengths, the things that come easy to us, the stuff that we're good at, the stuff we enjoy, right? Um, because otherwise it's not sustainable for us. We get bored and we're not interested and we can't stay dedicated. And then we start being interested in other things and not doing it anymore, right? And so if you are going to choose the gig economy as a way to make money, again, it's about that hustle. Nobody is telling you what time to be at work. Nobody's telling you when to go home, what days, whatever. So it's really about that self-reliance. And if you're not somebody who um, can kick your own butt, right, and get yourself moving, not a really good choice for you, right? Because you're never going to really succeed at it. And one of those things, if it's one of your strengths or you know, special interests, right, then it's not even going to feel like work, right? It's going to be you know, so for me, a lot of what I do, that there's parts of my work that feel like work, but a lot of my work doesn't feel like work. It's not draining. It's fulfilling. So that's why it seems like I can work so much when in reality, my work is a way to relax. So again, I, I use the, the pet example, I think is a pretty good one, right? If you like walking dogs, you can get paid to walk dogs. That sounds like a pretty good one. And I like the idea of using a gig economy and that gig concept of testing the waters of self-employment because it's a midway point, 
someone else is providing the funds, someone else is giving you the structure, right? And, and things like that, and is already doing the marketing and all of that stuff. They're doing all of that for you, but you are making your hours and you're in charge of how much money you're making and when and all of that stuff. Um, and so it's a good stepping stone because once you fully step into self-employment, you're in charge of all of it. You have to bring the leads in, you have to do the marketing, you have to decide what the focus of your company is and all, right? And so if you can't manage through the gig economy, probably not a good idea to take the next step into self-employment just yet, right? And that's a really good point, Becca. I didn't even think about that as much, but it's really true. Even just asking for payment, right, is handled and getting paid. That can be a really uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people is, you know, getting paid and or taken advantage of, right? With the gig economy, it's set for you. The price is set. It's done. You get paid. That's probably one of the most awkward conversations that needs to happen with having your own business. And then that's avoided. Right. And so it's a good midway point, right? It's, it, it solves some of the problems of traditional employment um, while not, you know, leading into the challenges that self-employment can have coming with it. Now, when you're, however you're making money or however you have income, you know, then, then it gets to a point where, well, how am I going to spend that income? And one of the suggestions you hear, one of the most common things is, oh, make a budget. Uh, so I was wondering... What do you see for autistics as pros and cons to making a budget? So, and I, and I spoke about it a little briefly earlier, but I think one of the, you know, the biggest cons is feeling shame that you need to have a budget, especially when you're already not doing well, right? So again, if you're already, you know, not in a good place, you know, well, you should have had a budget is helpful to nobody ever. I also think, and it could be executive dysfunction, who knows what it is, probably that. But unless it's a habit, unless it's a routine, you're not going to hold to it anyway. So it's better to try to make something easily and repeatable. The idea is to not need a budget. But at the same time, it's also good to look back and reflect, similar to how we might look back at the month, the quarter, the year. So there's an app I've recommended which wasn't designed for us, but I think is amazing. It's called Truebill. And it gives you just, hey, you spent this much more last month than this month. And one of my favorite features is it'll help cancel things for you. So it'll help cancel that gym membership for you and give you the letter to write in what to do because we all hate confrontation and the gym is like the worst, right? The call That's to so cancel. Mean. <laughs> They're mean so mean. <laughs> so, so just the fact that the Apple will help you cancel those things, um, to me, I think it's perfect. Any autistic I've recommended it to has loved it. And I think it's, again, setting the good habits versus trying to really go into all these details, especially if money and math is, is not your area of expertise. I have a kind of a different take on budget. So like for me, I feel like an initial budget is super important. I think that a lot of what sends us into anxietyville as autistics is that we don't function about real numbers. Like we don't want to know the real numbers for some reason. And, and somehow we, we think if we hide the real numbers from ourselves, right, it'll, it'll go away, I guess, or it'll get better or we don't know. Right. But instead that not knowing, 
kicks you into anxiety because you're not dealing with reality, right? You're like, oh, oh, so I don't know what it is. It could be this humongous number that I'm making up in my head, right? And all of these things. Um, and so what I find is that if we're wanting to address um, kind of money issues and that struggle with money and uh, that we do have and planning and saving and all that other big stuff, right? You kind of have to know your reality, right? You have to step in that discomfort of knowing your reality. What actual number do you have in the bank? What actual number does SSDI say you can't make more than, right? What is the actual number this thing is, right? I need the reality because the reality cuts the anxiety. Now, if I know the real number, I know when to worry and when not to worry, right? Rather than just to worry all the time. So I like the idea of an initial budget to give people a realistic picture of where they are, right? And then to make from that decision, where do you want to go? Um, and I think for me, because I do what I do and Andrew does what he does, um, I always coach people to really think about when they're dealing with money, what their values and priorities are in their life. Um, because oftentimes we'll find that people want to prioritize one thing, but when they look at their budget, they're spending all their money on something else, right? Or they're spending it on stuff that they don't consider important, and they could be saving that money to be using it towards something they prioritize. So that's sort of the step after the budget, right? But you really can't make good monetary decisions if you don't know what your priorities are and what you value in life. Right. And so we need to have those conversations, too, as part of kind of tackling the big money monster. When people do have a create a budget and have every intention to stick with it, daily overwhelm can kind of get in the way, daily stress and you might might affect your um, decision making. How do you see the um, just the knowledge of spoon theory and the application of it in helping with this decision making process? think that we spend a lot of spoons on things that we don't need to be spending spoons on. So I talk a lot about spoon management, which is just the idea of you have a certain amount of spoons that you can spend per day. Again, what are your priorities and what are your values and what are you spending them on, right? If I'm wasting them on, uh, I don't know, playing video games all day, um, and then I can't sleep all night long because all I do is worry about the money that I didn't make all day because I was playing video games all day, right? You're not solving your problem. You're not stepping forward and, and trying to come up with a solution, right? And so um, I think it's about saying, you know what, I need to spend some more spoons on this stuff, right? And less spoons on that thing, right? And learning to manage our spoons because when we alleviate our challenges when we alleviate the anxiety and we alleviate the depression um, and we alleviate some of the social structures that are in place, we can sustain a lot better, right? We can do it for a lot longer. And that's, um, I think that's the part of um, spoon management that we don't talk about. The other piece that I, I feel that is a little bit related to that is the idea that we have in America specifically that all of our energy should be going towards our work, that we should be working and working and working and rest is shameful and no one should be napping ever. And like, right, that's really the attitude in our country. And I think that's about spoon management too. Do you want to give into that model or does that model not work for you? Right. So, and, Again, I think that comes to automating as many things as you can, right? Again, so if there's – what I mean – when I said habits, I also just meant automation in general, right? So to the extent possible, right, if you have, you know, a tiny bill every month that can just be an automatic bill pay, right, and then you can just check 
you know, the credit card, instead of paying four different bills, you can just pay one, right? And financially, it may be better anyway. Well, then that's a lot easier. Then that's one less thing you have to do a week, right? That's one less bill you have to pay. So again, as long as you can keep track of that one thing, right, you don't want to, you know, automate everything and then realize you have no money in your bank account because you weren't paying any attention. But, you know, to try and the things that are, you know, simple as possible to be able to automate. So like our Amazon credit card, right? I just have it automatically pay out of my bank account each month. And I, I spent too much on Amazon, but so does everyone else. So, but I just know that it's like a debit card it's just going to automatically be paid off every month. I never have to pay my Amazon credit card bill. It doesn't take any spoons. It doesn't take any energy. It's just going to happen. And so, and I think that's brilliant. I think that's the place that we cross over a lot is that idea of habits and routine. It's the mm -hmm. idea that once you've looked at your budget and you've created your priorities and your values, what else, now what that I have this real knowledge, what can I do with it? Right. Do I want to say to myself, let me not spend more than $20 a month on, I don't know, the movies or whatever, or entertainment and that kind of thing. And so that setting up a budget that's not, that doesn't feed into our black and white thinking. So isn't to the penny, isn't so exact, isn't, oh my God, you went over by $10 this month, right? It's not about that. It's about estimating around how much you can afford to spend on each part of your priorities, right? And then creating that habit that that's your knowledge, right? And something else that I often suggest to people is um, taking care of all their bills on a particular day of the week or a particular day of the month if you think you can handle it monthly, right? So you don't have to worry about it Monday through Thursday. You know you do your bills on Friday, right? And, and managing your spoons that way. When we create schedules like that around cleaning, around money, around any of those adulting things, we do better. Because the more something becomes a habit for us, the better we like it. Oh, it's easier, it's easier, it's easier. Our brains love it. Um, and that's how we create this kind of sustainable money situation that we're all always looking for. What, what about with budgets? I, sometimes I wonder if people aren't making the budget specific enough. Like some, like there might be an entertainment category or it might be this category or that category that's that's broad and then that that affects how the, the spending decisions people make. Well, again, a plug for Truebill. It's one of the reasons I like it. I think mm -hmm. it does a great job with that. I don't, I'm not endorsed by them, by the way. I just really like it. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I think, you know, but you also don't want to get stuck too much in the details and in the weeds, right? I mm -hmm. think there, there's a happy medium and being somewhere in the middle is always a good idea, right? So if you can save a little bit of money every month and still spend some money on things you enjoy, you're doing a really good job. Yeah. And I think it's also good to take a step back and also, and I'm horrible at this. I'm atrocious at this, right? Uh, take some small victories and feel good about some wins, right? So I think it's also, hey, if you're saving more money than you're spending every month, right? Or you had a month where you did that, right? And if it's December, that's amazingly impressive, right? Take a small victory, take a small, you know, win and try to at least enjoy that mentally for a little while. That's really important to me as well is that idea that the idea that you're not earning money just to pay your bills. 
right? You're not doing your job just so that you can pay the electric company and that's it, right? One of the things we miss out a lot on as autistics is joy and fun, right? And especially the joy and fun that we consider joy and fun, right? And so having you know, this habit where you're setting up yourself to save a little bit each month means that maybe every six months, right, you have enough money set aside to do something that is purely for pleasure, right? That you, you, the whole purpose of saving it was to have it to spend on something that you enjoy, right? If we don't take those pleasures, um, you get on that hamster wheel and that's why we all hate life, right? We're going to work to make the money to pay the bills, to go to work to make the money to pay the bills. And that's not living, right? That's not really living. And so um, understanding that when we have overflow past our bills, that we can, that overflow, we get to choose what we do with. We can save some of it and spend some of it. It's literally overflow, right? But I think that black and white thinking gets us into, I have to save, I have to save, I have to save, I have to save, right? And and nothing gets enjoyed. Um, and I think we need that pleasure. We have to have that joy. And I do think there are a lot of people who once they start saving and they start automating it, and they start seeing their money grow and they just have so much a month moved into, let's say, a separate account. Mm-hmm. I, I think, well, not everyone, right? But there's definitely quite a, a few people who do get pleasure out of seeing that growth, right? And well, seeing, it's a success, right? That's yeah. a win too. If you manage to get yourself on budget and you, know, you look six months down the road and now all of a sudden you have $200 in a savings account, it's a huge win. Oh my God, take a picture of it, share it on the internet, like whatever. Don't put your account number on the information on the internet. Right. But other than that, be proud, you know, like celebrate that win. It's a big deal. Money is scary for a lot of us because it's an unknown. No one taught it to us. And so to face that fear and to tackle it in your own life is a huge win. A lot of us have been ignoring that monster for a lot of time. Right. And I also want to say, about you had mentioned something about having those months where you go over right and and that kind of thing i want everyone to sort of remember that if you go on this journey this money journey to shift all of these things and to to make all of these changes it is a new thing this is new that means you will make mistakes right (laughs) that means you will overcharge sometimes you will undercharge sometimes you will lose a dollar here you will right and those mistakes will happen but the idea is that you're doing better than you were last week or the week before, right? And it's still a win. But to not beat yourself up for that mistake, right? Like, be kind. You made a mistake because you were doing something you've never done before. Okay, take the lesson with you, but don't take that feeling. Don't take the emotions of it with you, right? Um, and keep going. Because the people that have succeeded have made a bazillion mistakes that you have not seen before they got there. And you will be one of them. That's the way humans learn, you know? And so we have to be kind in that way. Now, with... With spending decisions, something that I think gets in the way sometimes is executive functioning uh, stuff. So there can be a lot of steps in deciding whether to buy something or not. So any advice on how to make things just a little bit easier with these decisions? It's a priorities value situation, right? Sometimes we make decisions... Um, because other people tell us or they give us information about decision making. But we should um, be making decisions based on our priorities and values. Is this thing in alignment with the things that I value and make priority? Is this thing not, right? Is this thing helping me towards the goal I'm gearing towards? Is this thing not, right? And so really um, practicing the pause and taking the time 
to really think through your decisions and the way that it affects your life. Um, if I buy this thing for pleasure, what will I not be able to buy, right? Oh, if I do that, I won't be able to pay my cable bill. Never mind, right? Um, and so that, you know, making the decision in that way and really thinking about it in terms of the bigger picture rather than in the moment. Um, I think the other piece that we struggle with a lot is impulse control, right? All of a sudden we find ourselves making money regularly. We have it regularly available to us, right? And we're just sitting there and, oh my God, could it be any easier to buy things these days, right? Could it be any easier to just hit a button, yeah. right? Your credit card's already attached to it, thing, right? And so what happens is we make a lot of those impulse decisions and it's those impulse decisions that get us into trouble right? Because it throws the whole system off. Um, and so what we need to do is to really understand that decisions around purchases should not be made impulsively, right? Not for anybody. Nobody makes very smart, impulsive decisions. <laughs> nobody. And autistics are not any different, right? We don't make good decisions in an impulse situation. And so it's about learning how to say, I have that impulse and stopping ourselves. What is the thing that will catch you in your tracks? For me, when I do, when I have to do that, I think about, um, I convert it into cat food and dog food, right? I'm like, okay, this thing will cost me $150. How much dog food and cat food could I buy for that $150, right? And is it something that I would take out of my, my pet's mouth and buy this thing because it's that important, right? That's how I control my impulses, right? That's the thing that catches me. For a lot of people, it's thinking about it um, in terms of what they make hourly, right? I make $10 an hour. Right. So if that's 15 hours of work, that $150 thing, is it worth 15 hours of work? Not so sure. Right. And so whatever it is for you, whatever is the thing that stops you in your tracks, um, that's the thing we need to do when we're thinking about money. But, but I also think that goes both ways. And one of the things that one of the things that's probably even harder is to take a look at how much enjoyment you will get out of buying that much cat food. Right. So, for example, you know, uh, a video game that you might play for 100 hours for $60, well, that's a lot of enjoyment per hour for $60, right? right? And I think that's the part that struggle with, too, is I think we struggle to want to reward ourselves for things that we want to, you know, enjoy, right? Or maybe buying a few quality things. But if you look at it from the perspective of, I'm going to get so much use, so much enjoyment out of this, right? And it, but that can be hard too, especially if it's something that you don't feel like you should buy. Like I, I love. Well, that's, I think that's what the yeah. priorities thing is about, right? It's like, well, maybe you're somebody who has not prioritized self care and entertainment and things like that, and so you do need to force yourself to buy some of those things, right? And make some of those smart decisions, right? And for others of us, like for me, I know the overall pleasure that I get from having my pets be happy and healthy is worth more to me than just about anything. That's like my one of my number one priorities. So when I keep that a number one priority, I don't spend money on things that, right? And so it, it all plays into itself. It's about learning that balance that is so incredibly difficult for the autistic brain. Now, I know in my life there's been times when I've avoided looking at my bank account, my bank statement, and it's always when there's less in the account. So, <laughs> so how often do you think people should be checking out their uh, bank accounts, even if it's bad news that they're bound to receive? So, so I have two parts to this. <laughs> the first part is, 
if it is something temporary that is going to fix itself, i.e. there's investments or it's the stock market or something along those lines, then you're probably doing the best thing that you can avoiding it, right? <laughs> People who avoided looking at their retirement account statements in March for looking at it, getting really panicked and selling, they did a lot better by avoiding it. So, but let's assume it's not that. I would say, I think you should look at least once a month, right? Just yeah. to make sure that you didn't miss anything. Uh, obviously, you can look more than that, but I, I think you should look at a minimum once a month. I concur. I think people, we can tend, especially as autistics, to overlook. We can look all the time at everything and just obsess, right? And so I think it's good to remember that everything happens in cycles. So the bank cycles in 30 days, like your credit card, right? Cycles every 30 days. And so if that's, you know that that's when the computer changes everything and gets it the most up to date, that's the time to be looking, right? In between, everything's just fluctuating. Right. And I remember my grandfather was an accountant and he gave me the same advice. Andrew. He was just to say, if you have stocks or investments, don't look at them more than like once, twice a year because things fluctuate too much and you'll panic and then you'll end up missing out on the rewards of when it sweeps back up. Right. And so that's that same concept. Right. My money may dunk in the middle of the month, but it'll even itself out come the end of the month. So I'm just going to look at the same time every month. Right. Because then it will I'll be looking at a baseline. Right? And if anything is really different, then I'll know I have to worry. Same thing I say. I really think most things involving money, 30 days, every 30 days is pretty good. I feel like the, the financial world cycles in a 30-day cycle on almost everything, bills, the bank, right, all that stuff. So I think any more than once a month, you're giving yourself agita for no reason, right? You're, you're making yourself crazy. Well, before we go, we should definitely promote uh, Two Autistics Talk Money. How can uh, people go about listening to it? Um, uh, they can register. I do not know the link, but I will send it to you, Doug. Um, <laughs> the link to, to sign up for it, um, we do it once a month. It is the third Wednesday of the month at 3.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, 1.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Um, and just register. It's free. Just sign on. You can listen and not say a word. You can turn off your camera for all we care. You can participate and ask questions, right? Um, I know what January we have a guest coming on, right? Correct. So we have a guest coming on January. Um, and then otherwise, we try to pick a topic that Andrew and I can introduce that's related to money. And we sort of talk about it for a little bit and then open to questions. So so come find us. We Our next one is actually on Wednesday, this Wednesday, the 16th. Yes. Um, and so, yeah. Come find us, come join us, um, and then if you miss it, I put it up on my YouTube channel, uh, and you can catch it there. Do you put it up anywhere else, Andrew, or just there? I think I might put it up on my YouTube, too, but I probably forget, so half the time, so let's try to find it one of those places. You watch <laughs> yes, the exactly. whole conversation. You won't really have missed if you physically miss it in real life. Yeah, I've, 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 I've caught the replay on your uh, channel, Becca. Um, Fantastic. Now, um, any upcoming projects that the two of you want to plug? What do you got going on? Anything, Andrew? I, I mean, I always have like five million things going on, but uh, there's none I can target at the moment <laughs> that I think I, uh, you know, specifically well, I will encourage plug. everyone to check out Info Dump Files right now. Yes. <laughs> this is uh, Doug and I <laughs> podcast where we talk about special <laughs> interests and all of that fun stuff. Adults only, please. Um, and um, what else? And 
website. I am, of course, doing my course. It's right now up recorded, but get excited, everybody, because I'm going to be running through it live again with the new cohort starting in February. So if you are interested in taking the course and you want to do it with me live, you can do that starting in February. And um, these two amazing gentlemen have already been sponsors to the course and will probably do so again, I hope. So I'm hoping to have scholarship seats available once again for that for some of you who can't manage it. Got it? Well, Becca, Andrew, it was it's a pleasure to talk with the two of you as, as always and a great way to end uh, 2020 and hopefully a better 2021 for everyone. Let's certainly hope so. Thanks to everyone for listening and thanks so much to Becca and Andrew for the conversation. To listen to Two Autistics Talk Money podcast, check out the link in the description for this episode. You can also find a link for a free call to learn about all the different ways how coaching from Autism Personal Coach can be beneficial to you. So book a call with me today. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about autism stories. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we discuss how the lives of autistic people look through the lens of trauma with Michelle Bauman. Talk to you then.